Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, beloved family. How are you? I pray that you are well today. We're getting awfully close to Christmas Wednesday before um, the Monday of this coming week. Sunday night is Christmas Eve. Monday is Christmas Day. And it's just so glorious, beloved. And I I would want to urge you, I actually want to beg you to spend these last few days not partying, not um, doing many, many things. Uh, you may have to do many things to prepare your home and uh, your family for Christmas. But with that, have prayer. Light the Advent candles. Um, do some fasting. Maybe between now and Christmas Eve Sunday, you don't have dessert. Do something to prepare for the coming of the Lord. I want to read you a little passage from the book of Exodus when God was going to appear, and they wouldn't even see him, but he would appear on Mount Sinai to the people. And um, he told Moses to tell the people to consecrate themselves because he was going to appear on the mountain. They couldn't touch the mountain. They couldn't go near the mountain. They couldn't see him. They might hear roaring, uh, rumbling, but they had to do a few things to prepare themselves for that. And beloved, that was 1,500 years before Christ came to earth as a tiny baby. It's the same Christ that appeared on Mount Sinai. It's the same Son of God that appeared on Mount, and God the Son, that appeared on Mount Sinai that came to earth through the virgin birth as a tiny baby. And so there we would go near him in the manger. But he was God. He's always been God. And when the shepherds came, and then later at Epiphany, uh, the wise men came, they bowed down to the floor, and they adored him. And I want to say, uh, I will say, because it's true, that the Eucharist that we receive is the same God who appeared on Sinai, who was born as a tiny infant in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. It's the same God. We should fear to come near him, let alone receive him uh, into our bodies. And to hold out our hand like we're taking fast food is utterly sacrilegious and atrocious. In Exodus 19, I'm going to read this to you. Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Now, this is before Mount Sinai. Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready by the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bounds for the people round about saying, take heed that you do not go up into the mountain or touch the border of it. And you can compare this, beloved, to the sanctuary with the altar rails. No one, no one, 
no lay person is to go past those altar rails. I know in most of the Novus Ordo churches they've taken them down, but they are not to go into that sanctuary. Not a single lay person should go up. Take heed that you do not go up into the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain, God said to the Israelites, shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him. Do you hear that? No hand shall touch him. But he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready by the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain and Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain quaked greatly. Beloved, that is the God we receive at the Eucharist. No hand shall touch him. Only the consecrated hands of his priests. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. And God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out upon them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou thyself didst charge us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, Beloved, our church is... designed as a picture of the tabernacle, a picture of heaven, and the sanctuary, sanctus, holy, being set apart, is utterly set apart. And the altar rail um, showed that. Utterly set apart, and no one was to come past it. No one. No layperson. No one. People say, well, why can't women be lectors? Well, men shouldn't be lectors either. No lay person should go into that sanctuary. Only priests. Only priests of God who are consecrated. No one else. Um, I want to read you an article from LifeSite uh, News that appeared yesterday, and it's titled, Why Communion in the Hand Destroys Adoration of God and Submission to Tradition. It's written by Don Pietro Leone. Honor 
it begins, is the attitude which a subject manifests to another in virtue of the other's superior excellence in order to express his submission to that order, to that other, whereas adoration is that honor which a subject manifests to God in virtue of God's superior or more precisely infinite excellence which requires of the subject total submission to him the obligation to adore God as the consequence of his infinite excellence of God which requires on the part of every rational being an attitude of total subjection total subjection the obligation is expressed in the first commandment with the words I am the Lord thy God thou shalt have no gods before me other than me End quote, because this commandment orders us to adore him alone as the supreme Lord the same obligation is expressed by our Lord Jesus Christ in his command to Satan the Lord thy God shalt thou adore and him only shalt thou serve Matthew 4 and Deuteronomy 6 and some non-Catholics say well why do you Catholics adore Mary then no Catholic adores Mary no Catholic adores anyone but God himself. We give honor to Mary. We give honor to the saints. We give honor to people on earth in certain roles. But we don't adore. God alone is to be adored. This statement of our Lord, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. The Lord God The Lord thy God shalt thou adore, and him only shalt thou serve. And how can you imagine adoring God, whom the people before Mount Sinai couldn't even touch the mountain, couldn't touch the mountain with their hand that God would appear on. They weren't touching God, they'd be even touching the mountain, and they'd perish. How can we receive that same God, beloved? You say, it's not the same God. There's only one God. It is the same God. It is him who appeared on Mount Sinai. It is him who took flesh and blood and appeared as a baby in the manger through Mary. It is him who gives himself to us in the Eucharist. How dare we put him or allow him to be put on our hands? And how dare so-called Eucharistic ministers handle him, take him, put him on our hands, and then we take him and put him on our tongues? Total, total sacrilege. Adoration, I'm reading the article, is at the same time internal, that is mental, and external, that is physical. Internal adoration is the more important of the two, but both are due to God by man, inasmuch as man is composed both of mind and body and is obliged to adore God totally, that is both with the mind and the body. In fact, the external act of adoration is necessary for arousing our affection, while the internal adoration, if genuine, impels the subject to manifest such an attitude in external gestures. There's the music, beloved, for our first break. We'll continue with this article when we come back from the break, and then we'll have a half hour for your calls and your emails um, at the second break. We'll be right back, beloved. 
Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. Many of you are familiar with Mother Miriam Live, but I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as the Catholic Current. Father Robert McTague discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to the Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Have you ever dialogued with someone who espouses relativism, which says there is no truth or it might be true for you, but not for me? It's pretty frustrating. Deep down, we know these claims are false, but we often don't know why. Here's the reason. To say there is no truth is a contradiction. The assertion is tantamount to saying it's true that there is no truth, plain absurdity. Now, the other position, there is no absolute truth, just truth relative to the individual set of beliefs, is problematic as well. The usage of the verb is implies an assertion about the objective order of things. It's the same thing as saying it's absolutely true that there is no absolute truth, which of course is a contradiction. No matter how the relativist slices the pie, he ends up with a contradiction, making relativism an unreasonable worldview. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Hear a powerful sermon you need to share with a loved one? Maybe there's a guest, prayer, or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can listen to any of our network-produced programs at your convenience by finding us wherever you enjoy podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and the free iCatholic Radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she, and we are live. I always say that because we've often have to run an encore, and I always regret that, but we are live today, and I'm absolutely thrilled. Um, we, are, we began the program by reading a chapter of Exodus, a uh, portion of Exodus chapter 9, where God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God uh, whom no man could look upon and live, the God whom no one could touch, where he was to appear on Mount Sinai, before the people, they would never see him. He would appear, and he would speak to the people through Moses, and he told Moses how to prepare the people. They needed to stand, draw an area around the mountain that they wouldn't pass. They needed to bathe. They needed to refrain from intimate relations, um, all of that, uh, just to appear before the mountain, and all they would actually hear is a bit of thunder. Uh, they were too afraid. And they, for three days, they needed to prepare themselves. And no hand was to touch that mountain. And now I'm saying it's the same God who came to Bethlehem through the Virgin Mary and was born as a baby and took flesh and blood from the Virgin Mary. And it's the same God, the God who appeared on Mount Sinai, the God who was born in Bethlehem of a virgin, now... Uh, 
33 years later, grown to be a man, died for our sins and rose from the dead, the glorified Christ that we receive at every Mass, at every Holy Mass, the same God, all three times, the same God. And so at Mount Sinai, we couldn't touch the mountain or we would die. And he came to be handled by us uh, as a babe, to walk among us, to be one of us. But he comes as the glorified Christ in the Eucharist, as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, risen and glorified. And we have no right to receive him in the hand or to be given him by another hand. He is the Holy One of Israel. Holy Mother Church, I'm still reading the article from LifeSite yesterday. Holy Mother Church has established the acts of adoration due to God in the most holy sacrament of the altar. And you say, yeah, but he was handled as a baby. Yes, but when he was in the manger, the shepherds came. When the wise men came at Epiphany, they bowed down to the ground and worshipped him and adore him. And we don't have any sign of worshipping and adore him at Mass when we reach out our hand and then pick him up and put him in our mouth like fast food. There's no adoration. Little children come up and are taught, I don't know where that ever came from, they're taught to cross their hands over them so they come as a blessing if they, or adults if they're not in a position or a state of grace to receive the Holy Eucharist. Who taught that? That we walk before God with our hands and get a blessing. Communion is not a place to go up and get a blessing. But more than that, children need to be taught that they're going before God and they need to bow and genuflect, not just stand there saying no. It's so irreverent. Holy Mother Church has established the acts of adoration due to God in the most holy sacrament of the altar as follows. On enter, this is what we're supposed to be doing, beloved. Everyone, Novus Ordo, uh, traditional Latin Mass, no matter what. On entering a church where the blessed sacrament is reserved, one traces a sign of the cross on oneself with the holy, that is to say, exercised water. One makes a genuflection. You don't just walk into a church, go up to your seat, a genuflect. When you come into the church, God is there. You genuflect. When one passes in front of the tabernacle and arrives at one's place in church, one makes a further genuflection. One does not look around. One does not talk. If one needs to communicate something, one does so in a very low, soft voice. And it's a need. It's not a greeting. When the Blessed Sacrament is exposed, by contrast, on entering the church, one traces the sign of the cross as usual, but the genuflection is made with both knees, with a profound inclination of the head. The same applies when one passes in front of the Blessed Sacrament and arriving at one's place. The practice of genuflecting on one knee when the Blessed Sacrament is exposed is a modern aberration. When one goes to receive Holy Communion, one keeps hands folded and eyes downcast. Similarly, when one returns to the bench, one kneels at the altar rails and receives on the tongue. It goes without saying that if one has fallen into mortal sin since the last confession, though having failed to fulfill the obligation to ascend, attend Sunday Mass, for example, 
through the blasphemy or through impurity alone or with another, then one is debarred from receiving Holy Communion, even if one attends to confess, even if one intends to confess sacramentally immediately afterward. If one did so, it would not be an act of adoration, but rather an outrage to God, a sacrilege, and a mortal sin. It was apparent from its very outset that what we call the virus vaccine scourge was orchestrated not least to outrage the living God and the man of sorrows. Holy water was removed from churches and hand communion imposed almost universally for an assortment of ill-conceived motives, too facile even to recall. My dear reader, if we are obliged to honor God with the attitude of adoration, then how precisely is this possible if we receive the blessed sacrament on the hand? The faithful stand, the priest or member of the laity places the blessed sacrament on their unconsecrated, unwashed hands. They take it in their hands. They place it in their mouths, first stepping aside or as they move away, then brush from their hands any fragments which may have adhered to them, each of which contains the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, total and entire, exists under the appearance of bread and under every part of that appearance. Again, Christ, total and entire, exists under the appearance of the wine and under its parts. As the faithful return to their seats, they trample upon the said fragments, in other words, upon him, the highest good, who was born, suffered, and laid down his life in order to save them. Some of the more pious priests will raise the host before placing it in the hands of the faithful, but this cannot be said in any way to justify or to outweigh the abuses. Just listen. Listen. I myself, beloved, when I've gone to a Novus Auto church, I have picked up fragments of the host from the carpet or whatever the flooring is and consumed them. But after all, the author says, what can we expect? The practice of hand communion was devised by the Protestant heretics precisely in order to eliminate adoration of the blessed host. The apostate Dominican Martin Bucer, mentor of Thomas Cranmer, had expressed the Protestant consensus as to the real presence when he remarked in his censura, quote, it becomes our duty to abolish from the churches with all purity of doctrine whatever forms of adoration of bread they wish to have employed by the Antichrist and preserved in the hearts of the simpler kind of people. Similar attitudes in regard to the real presence were expressed and promoted by the hierarchs Zwingli and Calvin, heresiarchs Zwingli and Calvin, and by their successors as to the reception of the Blessed Sacrament standing and in the hand. It was the custom to move and to stand to receive communion. People stood in front of the table and received the species in their own hands. This is through Calvin and Zwingli and Luther. Various synods of the Calvinist Church of Holland had in the 16th and 17th centuries 
formally prohibited Holy Communion kneeling. In the first period, people knelt during the prayer and received the communion kneeling, but various synods forbade it to avoid any hypotheses, hypotheses that the bread should be venerated. Now the elimination of the adoration of the blessed host was finalized toward the elimination of the belief of the real presence according to all purity of doctrine and was indeed to become the very characteristic mark of Protestant Eucharistic heresy concerning the real presence. <clears throat> Can we deny that it has had the same, the self-same effect in the Catholic world too since it was introduced in the 1970s with the support of such renowned modernist council fathers as Cardinal Swainens and Alfrink, what, pray, is all this chatter in our churches? What is all this applause? What is all this inepta laetitia? What is all this inappropriate dress or lack of dress or dresses? Where are the genuflections on entry? Where are the genuflections on passing in front of the Blessed Sacrament? Where is the recollection? Where are the folded hands? Where are the downcast eyes? Where is the thanksgiving after Mass? The author of this article was permitted to preach a homily and no more at the marriage of his cousin in Italy. The parish priest entered at the beginning and left at the end without a minimal acknowledgement of the real presence at any point of the ceremony, even by a nod. Such, then, is the negative aspect of hand communion in the same sense of what it negates. What is its affirmative aspect in the sense of what it affirms, apart from the heresy that the Blessed Sacrament is mere bread? Amongst the many reflections in our book on the Second Vatican Council, which we have been amplifying prior to its publication, um, is the phenomenon of hand communion as an effect of the Council. Not indeed that it was provided for by the Council, nor by the rubrics of the New Rite, but was indubitably an effect of the Council in its inner anthropocentric dynamic. That means focus on man, not God. In what sense is hand communion anthropocentric? A sacrament, with the exception of marriage, is administered by the sacred minister acting in persona Christi. It is administered by Christ himself. It is administered by Christ and is received by the faithful. It is not taken or appropriated by the faithful. The blessed sacrament in particular is not only administered by Christ, but is Christ, and neither is a sacrament taken, nor is Christ. The anthropocentism of the new rite, which seeks to see everything, to everything, and immediately to understand everything, has culminated in the action of taking God himself into one's own hands, of taking ascendancy, over God himself. This anthropocentrism in regard to God amounts to self-deifying atheism. Because if man is superior to God, then in reality man 
is God. Did you know that an unwanted car or truck can make a great gift? When the time comes to purchase a new one, consider donating your old car or truck to the Station of the Cross. We have a quick and simple way for you to get rid of your unwanted vehicle while supporting the solid Catholic programming you love listening to on your radio, online, and through your mobile devices. Whether they run or not, we accept cars, trucks, RVs, boats, and motorcycles. It's a great opportunity for you to give more than you might normally be able to. At the same time, you'll be clearing out space in your garage or driveway, ridding yourself of an unwanted vehicle. Just visit us online at thestationofthecross.com or call 1-866-628-CARS, 1-866-628-2277. May God bless you for your generosity in support of Catholic Radio. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Have you ever thought, well, why can't a prayer at a Catholic Mass cause the Holy Spirit to come upon the bread and wine and thus turn it into the actual body and blood of Jesus? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, remember, three of the most magnificent miracles were a result of the Holy Spirit coming upon someone or something such as the Holy Spirit came upon the face of the deep and God created the world. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary and she brought forth Jesus in her womb. Second, a boatload of scriptural support, such as 1 Corinthians 10, 16, which says the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And thirdly, my honest reflection, your transformation after a prayer for conversion was not and is not noticeable in the human eye. So then why do you reject a prayer which transforms bread and wine into Jesus' body and blood? I know the reason, just a whole bunch of people have told you that. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are live, and this is our half hour together, my favorite part of the program. You are welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Before we begin, I'll make uh, the same announcement that I made yesterday, that... um, we now in Winsboro, uh, we're doing some reconstruction and we're going to be able to begin um, discernment retreats um, to take in more women. Uh, we'll have them in January and February and maybe another in March. And we'll be able to take in a, a, a small handful of women. And I mentioned yesterday, we take women from all ages, 18 to 118. But I said, if you are 119, you can keep the rule. Uh, you qualify. <laughs> um, you need to be, uh, you could go on um, vocation, our, our website, uh, motherofisraelshope.org, click on vocations and charism, and scroll down about halfway and click on our charism in full, and it'll open our charism and it'll tell you the requirements. Basically, you need to be over 18, you need to be single. So if you've been married before, 
um, if you don't have an annulment or degree of nullity, you're still married and, and you cannot qualify. You need to be of reasonable physical health that you could walk without a wheelchair and cane and such. We all have medical issues, not too big a problem, but you need to be able to function fairly well. Um, you need to be Catholic and love God and know why everyone in the world should be Catholic. That's about it. So uh, go to our contact um, a tab and um, click on that. It'll give you vocation inquiry at motherofisraelshope.org. Or you can email us at mail, M-A-I-L, at motherofisraelshope.org or through the Station of the Cross, mother at motherofisraelshope.org. And if you uh, contact us, um, any email whatsoever, we don't have a landline yet, um, we will uh, send you a vocation introductory questionnaire. And as soon as you get that back to us, if there's no impediments, we will be happy to invite you on one of those retreats. And I mentioned yesterday that we're focusing at the moment on our younger half, ages 18 to 40, and then following that we'll have a retreat of 40 and up. Um, We have all ages here. We want to make sure they stay balanced, as many under 40 as over 40. So that's it. God bless you. We have an email from someone who writes in anonymously. And she says, I have some fun questions for you, Mother, a couple of which come from my children, ages 6 and 10. Number one, what is your favorite type of Christmas cookie? Your favorite song or hymn? And your favorite Christmas movie? Oh, my goodness. I don't know that I have favorites, but my favorite type of Christmas cookie is something that's (laughs) gluten-free. I have celiac, and gluten is... um, is uh, really bad for me. So it's the only so-called allergy I have. So any cookie that is gluten-free um, I, is my favorite. My favorite Christmas song or hymn, um, I love so many of them, but I absolutely love Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. I love that. In fact, I've, I've printed it in this year's newsletter I have the words in front of me. Come thou long expected Jesus. I, I shouldn't sing to you, but just to refresh <clears throat> the, the, the tune that if you know it. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. I'll speak the rest. My voice is hoarse. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart, born thy people to deliver. Born, do you hear this, Ben Shapiro and all other Jewish people? Our Lord the Christ, which is the English word for Messiah, for Mashiach, was born thy people to deliver. Born a child yet and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thy all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. It was written by Charles Wesley, who's a Protestant. It's it's my favorite. I, I just love it. Absolutely love it. So that's my cookie, the hymn, and your famous favorite Christmas music movie, I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know. I, a, a beautiful life. Uh, is it a beautiful life? Um, um, I forget. I think it's a beautiful life. It's an old. Um, 
I'm not sure if that's the title, but it's it's an old movie about a man who um, uh, doesn't anymore believe in God or Santa Claus or anything else, and an angel uh, comes and, and, and brings him back. It's a beautiful, heartwarming, emotion, emotional movie, but it's not the truth of Christmas. Um, I don't know that I have a Christmas movie. I used to love Scrooge, but I don't. we don't watch movies now, hardly any ever, and I don't know one that I prefer. Um, probably would be the Passion of the Christ to see what happened to that baby who came from heaven and became man for our sakes. He came to die. Um, so I can't help you there, but those are good movies. Scrooge and... It's a beautiful life. There must be other beautiful, beautiful movies. Um, uh, I, I can't think of any. So if some of you have any that are Catholic and good Christian movies, call in and, and tell us what they are. And if I've seen them, I'll tell you. Uh, but there was a time I didn't see a single movie or TV or anything for 20 years. So I can't think of one. Um, second question, what is your typical Christmas Day meal with the sisters? We don't have a typical Christmas Day meal, um, but um, and normally we have two meals a day, and it'll be the same on Christmas Day. We, we have a late breakfast when we come back from Holy Mass, and then we have dinner uh, following Vespers and an hour and a half adoration around 6 p.m. And it's it'll be something special. It'll probably... Um, uh, we, we stay away from meat a lot. It probably have some meat um, and salad and maybe potatoes or a special dish. What will make it special is that we'll have special dessert, which we normally don't have. And we'll probably have wine and a special drink, soda, or normally we don't have that either. Um, so, and we'll have dessert, and I know we'll have lots of Christmas treats and goodies and baked goods and candies. So we don't have that. Uh, outside of Christmas, so it'll be fun and very special. Question three, do you think you'll miss the snow this year now that you're down in Texas? No. <laughs> I absolutely love snow. It's gorgeous. And when we've been in areas that have snowed, which is most of our years before Texas, um, it's, I love it. I love it when it falls on every twig. Every twig has an inch of snow. I absolutely, it's so gorgeous. I really do love it. But I don't think I'll miss it. It does snow in Texas ever so lightly, and sometimes more than lightly, it does. But, um, um, and if it was a big snowfall here, I know I would love it too. But apart from that, I don't think we'll miss it. Um, and at the moment, dear ones, we are... Um, we are preparing. I mentioned this in our newsletter. Um, we've redesigned what well, it's going to be our cloister for 30 women. And um, we need to start work on that. Um, our entire place is paid for, blessed be God, for 1,500 people who contributed toward the purchase of this land. But we need to reconstruct the buildings um, to fit a monastery. So we're starting on this now, and we're going to need probably a bit side we haven't uh, we have the uh, architect arrangement beautiful and the architect did the most glorious it was bre it's breathtaking what he did um and he didn't charge us a penny he's a benedictine monk 
He loves God more than a soul can love him. And um, he, it's just his gift to us. But we will need finances in order to do the reconstruction um, and bring in people and, and plumbers and construction folks and uh, leveling the land and all of that. So, um, so I mentioned, I wasn't going to mention that, but um, now I'm thinking about no snow and the layout of our land and um, we might even be back to living in our mobile homes while the, while the construction is being done. So um, even if you have, uh, if you've been intending to give to us, apart from just the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, you can go to our website, motherofisraelshope.org, and click on Donate, and you can donate uh, by credit card online. You can get our address online. It's current in Winsboro. You can send us a check. You can call us and give us information over the phone, anything you wish to do. Um, we would be absolutely, absolutely thrilled. Okay. Um, we have an email from Amanda, and Amanda says, I see that many parishes offer benediction of the Blessed Sacrament, usually in conjunction with some kind of prayer service. I've been at my parish for most of my life, and to my knowledge, our parish has never had a benediction for as long as I have been there. Can you explain, first of all, what a benediction is used for? And secondly, why some parishes seem to prefer it often when others don't do it at all? Well, Amanda, I think every parish should have benediction. Uh, parishes that don't do it at all are not leading their people to adore our Lord. Every parish should have benediction. It should always be led by the priest. Always be led by the priest and a proper benediction um, um, service, proper one. And so um, why your priest has not had benediction, I don't know, but he should. And you might ask him that. You may say, Father, um, I've seen benediction, and I'm wondering if we could begin that practice. So we have a time as a community when we can adore our Lord and sing to him and pray to him and have a time of solid, silent prayer and have you expose the blessed sacrament and then at the end repose him as well, put him back. Just go to your priest and ask him that. Um, and so um, if the priest said, well, I don't want to do it, but you lay people can do it, do not do it. It should be the priest, no lay people. It should be the priest. Um, and so it's used, you say, what is benediction used for? A benediction is a blessing. So uh, we bless God, and he blesses us. And we bring him out so that we can adore him. We can adore him and watch him exposed um, instead of in the tabernacle, brought out of the tabernacle, and uh, attribute fitting adoration and prayers to him. Um, we have an email from John, and John says, Hello, Mother. Someone once asked me if I was a Catholic or a Christian. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that's like someone saying, Are you a female or a woman? Um, when I said that I was both, since Catholics are Christians, he became confused. He seemed to equate the term Christian with Protestants or non-Catholic Christians. Where did this idea come from? And how could anyone possibly think that Catholics are not Christian? People, dear one, who think that Catholics are not Christian were introduced to Christianity 
through Protestantism and told that to be a Christian, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. Um, and Catholics don't do that, so they're not Christians, they're not saved. That's where that came from. It follows the Reformation. Catholics were the first Christians. The only Christians were Catholics. Only Christians. And they were Jews who came to, and they were Jews. The only Christians were Jews to begin with who came to um, receive and adore their Messiah, God come to earth as man. And so if you are a Catholic, you are a Christian. But Protestants don't understand that. They're taught that Catholicism is Satan's um, campground. But it's not. If you're Catholic, you are the first Christian. If you're Jewish, you also are part of the people who were the first Christians, the first to recognize the Messiah. And you are outside Christianity because you haven't yet come to recognize and adore your own Messiah. So a Catholic and a Christian are redundant terms. You are Christian, you may not be Catholic, but if you're Catholic, you are a Christian. We'll be right back. O God, who dost behold how we are afflicted by reason of our wickedness, mercifully grant that we may be consoled by reason of thy visitation. Suffering is a remedy for ignorance. We are afflicted by reason of our wickedness. So often we suffer because of our wickedness. It's what we have done that causes us the suffering. I mean, imagine, oh, I don't know, emotionally, socially, in our family, the effects of a hangover. You get drunk, you get a hangover. You feel sick to your stomach. The next morning, you feel terrible, right? That's a very easy connection to make. It's much less easy to see that by our selfishness, by our pettiness, by our immaturity, we are the cause of the suffering in our own families, in our social circles, in my life, in my work, in my whatever it may be. It's less easy to see those connections. That's Sermons for Everyday Living from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. As part of our efforts to teach the beauty of our faith, we're broadcasting a special educational lesson every Wednesday called Lessons in Latin. I'm Canon Bourgeois, a priest of the Institute of Christ the King's Sovereign Priest. These mini-teachings break down the history of the various parts of the Holy Mass. You can hear Lessons in Latin on Wednesdays at approximately 5.15 a.m., 3.45 p.m., and 9.40 p.m. Eastern Time. That's Lessons in Latin, Wednesdays at 5.15 a.m., 3.45 p.m., and 9.40 p.m. on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. We hear all the time from listeners who discover the station by seeing a Tri-God bumper magnet in traffic. You can request a free bumper magnet and start evangelizing just by driving around town. Go to thestationofthecross.com and click on Promotional Material under the About tab. There you can request a magnet for your listening area. We even have one for the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Request yours today. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are live and we are thrilled to be with you. We have 10 more minutes and you're welcome yet to call in, uh, toll-free 1-877-511-5483, or 
um, by emailing at mother at the station of the cross dot com. I see we have Barbara from Chicago on the line. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Mother Miriam. How are you? I am terrific. How about yourself? Good, good. Thank you for taking my call. Um, Mother, I, I just want to comment. You were talking about movies. Yes. Um, that the one the one movie you were thinking of is called It's a Wonderful Life with James Stewart. You got it. You know, um, it. It's a Wonderful Life with James Stewart. It's exactly what I was thinking of. A Beautiful Life is a Holocaust movie. It's actually John Paul II's favorite movie, and it's called A Beautiful Life, and it's a fantastic film, and it is of the Holocaust. So A Wonderful Life with James Stewart is exactly what I was thinking of, yes. And, but and it's, it's, a, it's a, I'm sorry, it's a feel-good family movie, but it doesn't give the story of Christ and Christmas. Okay. Um, two other ones that are they're very good, too, that I enjoy. The Bells of St. Mary with Ingrid Beautiful. Bergman and Bing Crosby. I love that. And she's my favorite. Besides, after you, Mother, that's my favorite nun. <laughs> oh, how sweet. <laughs> I've seen that movie a couple of times myself. I love it. And, and another good one for people to watch, The Bishop's Wife. Okay. Carrie Grant, David Niven, and Loretta Young. All right, Barbara. I've seen in the past all those three movies, and they're good, but they're not the Christmas story. You know what I mean? Um, if we're looking for a true Christmas film on the story of the birth of Christ, those three are good movies, but none of them do that. So I just want people to know they're feel-good family movies. They're okay. Um, but they don't, um, they don't tell the story of God come to earth. And that's what I'm trying to think of. Okay. And there is a recent movie uh, done by Protestants called The Nativity, um, but it, is, uh, it has some uh, difficulties in there concerning Catholic, doc- Catholic doctrine. Um, again, Mary did not experience pain in childbirth, in giving birth to Christ. So... Um, that may be a film, but it doesn't have all the truth. So I, I, if anyone thinks of a good, solid Catholic film on the nativity, um, I would love it. Um, you know, um, years back, um, the Father Patrick Payton, the rosary priest, he did a series of videos on the entire rosary, all 15 decades, the, 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 the John Paul's decades hadn't come out yet. Um, and if you look at the joyful mysteries, each, each video, I think, is a half hour. And it's on all the joyful minist- mysteries. And they're movies. And they're all these actors, Loretta Young and James Mason, and I forget all of them, but these are all top Hollywood actors who did everything for free for Father Payton. And they're, they're, fi- they're old-fashioned, but they're fine films, and they tell the story of the birth of Christ. So that's a thought. Okay, okay Barbara. All right. Also, also uh, Mother, I'd like to add, if, if you ever come to Chicago, I know earlier you were talking about um, churches where, where the people, they respect Christ, you know, like kneeling at the altar railing and yes. with hands folded, they, they believe in true presence. Two churches here in Chicago, if you ever come to Chicago, two that you that would be great for you to visit, St. John Cantius mm-hmm. 
And I just I've been there. To a, I attended, they had a Rorate mass on Saturday. Yep, it was absolutely. beautiful. Yep, uh-huh. And, and another parish is St. Mary of Perpetual Help. Oh, very good. I haven't been to that one. I have been to St. John Cantius, and we also here in Tyler at the Cathedral, the Immaculate Conception, had a magnificent Rorate Mass also. I was so pleased to see that. Barbara, God bless you. Yeah. Thank you. Another another from what you've said? St. John Cantius and St. Mary Perpetual Help. Beautiful, Barbara. God bless you, dear one. Um, I will, so I've been in St. John Cantius and St. Stanislaus, um, but I will also remember uh, Our Lady of Perpetual Help if I come to Chicago. I'm so happy for your call, Barbara. Have a blessed rest of Advent and a blessed Christmas. Thank you, Mother. You as well. Thank you, sweetheart. Um, okay, we have an email from Jim, and Jim says... <clears throat> Is it okay to donate to a charity that does great humanitarian work, but at the same time advocates Protestantism? I am specifically referring to the Mully, M-U-L-L-Y Foundation. The caveat is that he is taking kids who are homeless off the streets where they could be killed or abused and giving them a great life with all of the necessities, but is raising them as Protestants. Caveat here is again, many of these kids may not survive at all, or if they do, they may not know Christ at all, if it wasn't for the work of Mully, M-U-L-L-Y. The answer is yes. It's absolutely okay to, to donate to a humanitarian work, which is really a Christian work, um, that uh, by, run by Protestants. If I found such a ministry, I would look to find one that is run uh, with that purpose, taking children off the street and teaching them about God and saving their lives, I'd look to find one that is Catholic or to start one myself. But in the absence of that, I would certainly support this Protestant one um, who's doing such a fantastic work. I would absolutely do that. Um, second question is, I'm assuming that with it not being okay to eat out on Sundays, well, I don't think it's okay. The church doesn't tell you not to. They say it's a day of worship and we shouldn't work. So if we eat out on Sundays, the problem is we're the cause of other people working on Sundays. So that's why we shouldn't eat out because we shouldn't work on Sundays. It should be a holy day. So uh, he says, or she, I'm assuming that with it not being okay to eat out on Sundays, it is also not right to fly on Sundays. See, I believe that. So when our sisters go on a trip for a reason, we try to make it that they fly or take a train or whatever it is, not on Sundays. If it's unavoidable, it's unavoidable. But other than that, we try to totally avoid Sundays where other people have to serve us. And then um, you say, but then it wouldn't, but then would not the same also be said for not staying at a hotel on weekends? Yes, 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 yes. So should one never travel over a Saturday, Sunday period except in an emergency? I think so. I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. You can certainly travel on a Saturday but come home Monday. Um, or whatever, however you work it out. I, I don't say you're in sin, but we should take Sunday as a day of rest. And if we impose on others to serve us through 
air, air travel or bus or train or restaurants or amusement parks or anything else. We are asking them to not worship God, and we are the cause of their not worshiping the God. The whole world, Christian world, streets, everything should be absent. Stores should be closed. Everything, amusement parks, everything should be closed on Sundays. And if every Christian who calls himself Christian were, uh, did not go to any place where they needed to pay a fee or buy food or anything like that, you can go to the park and have a picnic, but not if you need to pay an entrance fee that someone has to be working and not, not having uh, kiosks open for your hot dogs. You can do whatever you want, but not to ask the world to serve you so that you could worship God on Sunday. That's not worshiping Him. We need to spread the gospel to every creature um, and not cause anyone to work on Sunday so one day all the stores will be closed again as they once were. God bless you, and we'll be back with you tomorrow, God willing.